The Guardian is delighted to announce the launch of our new Global Development Professionals Network. It's completely free, and it's the place for global development professionals to share, discuss, and promote new ideas about the sector. With weekly newsletters, a first look at jobs, and live Q&As with global development experts. As a listener to this podcast, we're offering you the chance to win an iPad just for signing up to the network today. To find out more, head to guardian.co.uk slash win the iPad. The Guardian. Hello, it's Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. Coming up. Ben Beaumont Thomas hooks up with LA singer-songwriter Julia Holter at the Unsound Festival. Jesse Ware, Lady Shan and Madness get mixed up in singles club. And Peeper Feeders goes rummaging in his attic once more in search of pop history. Dorian Linsky's here. Hello. 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 You've dragged yourself out of your sick bed. Yeah, <laughs> I seem to be doing this a lot. <laughs> How's things? How are you? Other than being terribly ill. Is there another? Is there another world? Is there another <laughs> world beyond the, the domain of the ill? What's been know. going on in music this week? What's the big news? I. It's my favourite time of year. Christmas. Music. Christmas <laughs> is obviously my favourite time of year because of Jesus. <laughs> um, no, my favourite time of year for listening is the end of the year list uh-huh. because I personally don't care about seeing my own choices validated by other people don't really mind so what i'm interested in considering the diversity of the lists as well you know if you're moving from like the fly to the wire to fact or whatever Mm -hmm. you know is is this sort of huge diversity in catching up on stuff because a lot of the time during the year you're working on stuff all the time so you're working on a feature you're working on reviews your listening becomes quite specific and there's albums i've become aware of that I just didn't get around to. So, for example, I only just heard the Miguel album, mm-hmm. which is amazing. It's gone straight into my, my sort of personal top ten of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what these lists do. You see those albums and you just think, well, I, almost sort of superstitiously, I'd better hear them before the end yeah, of the yeah, year. Yeah. You it's know? funny, though, but I used to have that reaction to them when I was... You know, a kid when I was like, when yeah, I used to yeah, sort of yeah. see the list in the NME or, yeah. or, or whatever, you know, select or something. I was always more interested in the stuff I hadn't heard than going, how have you not included? You know, right? That's it. I mean, I don't, I don't expect. I mean, I think as it as it happens, my very favourite albums seem to be quite widely yeah. liked. But there's other ones where I just think, well, you know, it's just for me. I really like the Orbital album, but that's because of my age and, mm-hmm. and my background with them or whatever. Absolutely. But it would be kind of absurd for me to get really annoyed because it wasn't in everybody's top ten. Mm-hmm. And so it's all just about having this kind of mass of recommendations um, and ideas. And you see certain names cropping up again and again. You check them out. And some of them are, are, are no good. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are absolutely thrilling. And it's just every <coughs> single year, November, December, is the sort of time when I just, I love listening to music most of all. Because mm-hmm. it's not for specific work purposes. It's just this sense of like catching up absolutely and, and they've always been filtered a little bit for you as well yeah yeah, yeah by yeah, yeah, these yeah, recommendations yeah. it's not just a mass of music that you have no idea about <laughs> what a lovely positive way of looking at that end of your list <laughs> is, that, is that true for you as well do you yeah i think i think it is a nice way of retreading old ground because even um when you come to writing your end of year list i always find it really difficult to just remember even as far back as january and february and you're kind of you know write them all out and think about which ones I really like throughout the year. And so it is really nice to, it kind of takes you back to, you know, how you felt in March and the excitement that you felt in June or whatever, which is which is quite nice, you know. And I felt at certain points during the year, this was not like a vintage year, but I was just doing a Spotify list of my songs of the year. And I've got about 65 so far. Mm. 
that I love. I made and a I'm CD. sure there'll be more. I had to make know. a CD for somebody of like my favourite music of the year, which is not, you know, particularly. Uh, it's got idiosyncratic choices and stuff. Like I was listening to it. I was like, this is brilliant. Mm. It's like 70 minutes of absolutely brilliant, really diverse, you know, music. I, th- I think that yeah. can be better sometimes than, the, than the, you know, the albums of the year. A lot of the time, there's albums that they're really good, but they're not maybe quite as good as you wanted them to be. There's a lot more sometimes sense of disappointment if you don't have a, a kind of a Let England Shake or, or an album, mm. which I just generally feel mm. like this is a you know, masterpiece. But tracks are just so joyous. It's like, it doesn't matter. If they've they've got one good song, Mm -hmm. that's fine, you know. No, I do feel like there's been a lot of very good EPs this year, which are a little bit more accessible because there's only three or four tracks. And sometimes when I feel like, you know, there's too many albums maybe Mm. to go and explore, EPs are a nice way in sometimes. What what are the good EPs this year? Uh, Quez's was really good. Yeah, that is a very good good record. Um, Lee George's. Well, Dawn Richards, it's called an EP, but there's about 10 tracks on it, so I don't know that's if that counts. It's not really an EP, <laughs> is it? It's just <laughs> like, man up, call it an album. <laughs> um, but that's that's really good. Angel Hayes, well, that's a mixed, that's a mixed, mixed tape, yeah. not an EP, but you know. That was really good. good. There's a lot of good mixtapes as well. Mm, there you go. Julia Holt's second album, which came out earlier this year, got her compared to established stars such as Laurie Anderson, Kate Bush, any female artist that isn't on the X Factor. <laughs> <laughs> a bit like Kate Bush. And Joanna Newsom. Ben Beaumont Thomas met her while performing in Poland. I assume, obviously, she was performing in Poland rather than Ben Beaumont Thomas. That would be amazing if Ben <laughs> Beaumont Thomas secretly had a musical career in Poland. Anyway, he talked to her about how it feels to bring her bedroom pen songs into the spotlight of a fast growing audience. <laughs> fun actually and I like performing a lot so I guess the difference is this the size and the amount of people and so you you wrote these songs and performed them and as they are on the records that you've put out it's just you effectively and then what's it like kind of giving up those songs to a band and then like last night you played with a string quintet it's really hard for me sometimes especially in this case because it was people that I didn't even know really or I didn't know (laughs) Um, and we just had two rehearsals and each was four hours long, so that's not a lot of time for three songs. So um, but they're professionals and they could do it. It's not that. It's just like the question even just compositionally does uh, and arrangement wise, like, does this work? Like, did I just make a, a bad arrangement for this music? Like, maybe this is a total failure and trying to be accepting of that and knowing that I only have two days to work with them, so I can't really change anything. And it was... Um, for a while, actually, I was really didn't think it was going to work out. Like the string quartet, I didn't think it was going to work. And then somehow we were we were kind of you go into performance mode, which is actually can be really fun, actually, because you you're presenting the work and it kind of suddenly the the it took form. The songs took form. I don't know. It was like magical. So you, yeah, you have a 
surprised. It's almost like you feel like the songs have their own agency and they sort of wander off by themselves yeah, into the church. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. And then with um, the records that you've put out, the one I guess brought you to wider attention first was Tragedy, uh, which was your first record, well, first full LP. And that was focused, it was kind of an impressionistic version of a Euripides play in a way, isn't it? Uh, why did you kind of choose that source material? I kind of used it for the same reason a lot of people do. Good story, good plot, good characters. You know. Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's almost like you took that very structured uh, narrative and then just sort of smashed it and rearranged the pieces. I mean, how did you choose to place the fragments in the way that you did? I really did it based on what I wanted to hear orally, like the sound. I didn't think of the order first. I actually just sort of made these different pieces of it and then at the end put them together. I chose it the best, the way it flowed best sonically. You mentioned imagery before and, and single images, and I've heard you mention before that Marion Badrich off your Ecstasis album, which came out earlier this year, mm-hmm. that was inspired by sort of a topiary garden image, and that you wanted to you wanted to evoke a topiary garden in sound. I mean, it, do you work a lot like that with a with a single sort of visual stimulus for a song? Yeah, sometimes, and a lot of times, it doesn't mean that the whole song is built off that. It means I started with that, and yeah. then I decided, oh, actually, I want to be. I want to, I don't know, have there be, like originally it was supposed to be a jungle. Like the whole song was originally just, I was imagining plants and wild plants in the Mm. jungle. And then I, for some reason, completely reversed it and went to Topiary Garden, which is like the opposite because it's like super controlled gardening style, right? And then went into this film and then, and then started talking about the statues and like, so it kind of grows and it's a starting point always, the imagery. And so I'll have multiple images ultimately, most of the time, or sometimes like songs like in the same room, I start with a concept or a situ- not a concept, really a situation and a um, sort of narrative situation. Almost, yeah, um, a scene. A scene, yeah, really simple scene, potentially really boring, but like there's two people in a room and one person says to the other one, "I remember you." don't you remember me? And the other one says, I don't, I want to, but I don't remember. And that's it. And it's like what yeah. the whole song is about. And, and how um, you alluded to your uh, being taught music and, and you, you studied it in a kind of quite formal way. Do you, do you feel that gave you some real valuable lessons and, and were there things that you could never have been taught? Sort of I don't know. It's like weird. I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't studied music. I probably, I probably still would be making music, but I don't know if it would probably... I feel like it would be harder for me to like come up with what I come up with just because I can kind of quickly usually figure out what harmonies I want. And I, a lot of times it's at the piano, but I have done a lot of, I have done pop music songs really where I really don't need a lot of skill. I kind of just like play a beat and then make some 
yeah. chords with it, but simple ones, you know? I mean, In the Same Room started that way in a way. Yeah, because um, that's very poppy. I mean, wh- why are you drawn to pop, you know, that, I just, that sound? Well, and that's I, with melodies of I probably pop. am drawn to it just because I grew up listening to it. It's kind of the main thing I listen to mm. more than anything else. I didn't really sit around and listen to classical music until I was older, like 15 and so were you listening to like proper like MTV pop or? For a long, like, especially when I was nine, MTV was big. Yeah. And um, like the, whatever was happening on MTV, like I remember Soundgarden, Black Hole Sun and like Janet Jackson and stuff. Yeah. Not really interesting musical library until I was like 15 or something. And then mm. I was started listening to some new things, you know. You mean more classical and... and Or like, yeah, class, or just things that were different sounding to me than I'd ever heard before. Like I heard a finally, one day I heard an Indonesian gamelan, like Balinese gamelan, and and that was like crazy, right? Like totally new timbres and rhythms. and Or I heard, you know, my ears just opened up. I heard new things. I sampled new things. Hmm. It's probably good that I studied music a little because I don't really have a genre focus or Mm. anything else to to back up what i do musically i don't want to make hip-hop music specifically only or country music specifically i know what i want musically strictly i don't have to rely on like a genre Mm. i don't know if that makes sense well no that's i never thought about it like that yeah and and the genre that you're teaching uh you're learning music formally has kind of helped you to break down any preoccupation with with genre and yeah. so you can well I know I what I mean is I know what chords I want like right, yeah. literally just the, straight the up musical yeah. information yeah. I know what it is that I want Was it difficult to make or move into pop, in inverted commas, music out of that more classical training? I mean, is, is, is no, that kind of music like a sort really of dirty word in, in teaching? No, it was like really easy to start making pop music. Yeah. It was really easy to start singing, and it was which was new, and it was really easy to, to start making melodies, and it just was, came so easily that I was like, this isn't bad, this isn't wrong, and I shouldn't feel like this is a wrong thing to do, because I felt like... I kind of felt like it's not something I should do. It's I should be a composer and I should notate. <laughs> well, when I was a kid, like well, when I was like 19 or 20, I thought that. But then I really like, this is something I can take seriously. I didn't know how I could take myself seriously as a singer, but I realized I really liked it. And do you feel like Los Angeles itself has kind of fed into your music? Because having been there, I think it's one of the strangest <laughs> cities in the world. And um it doesn't have a heart and it's so fragmented in itself. I mean, uh, right. d- does that, would it be too far of a step to say that that fragmentary nature has kind of gone into your music? Yeah. I mean, I, I think what it, what it does is the, it gives me space. There's so much space in LA. There's beach, there's desert, there's forests, there's mountains. There's, you really like, it's kind of how I feel with my music. Like I can just choose whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. I can, <laughs> it's kind of like very, um, just inspiring.
Julia Holter talking to Ben Beaumont Thomas there. Her album Ecstasis is out on Ring. I never know how you pronounce that label. Ving, Rung, Ring. Ving. R V N G, anyway. Time to play some singles. Kieran, let's start with your choice. When me look in at your eyes with your heartfelt vibes, me feel calm. Feel my love burn bright when me strength and might me feel calm. Come and swirl in the right, you are my light, feel calm. Cause you care on me live, never wrong, you was my From right. Me oh. Confused, not too sure, never want to use me like no more. Right, that's uh, Lady Chan or Chan. Shan. I would say Shan because her name's Chanel Williams. Okay. Uh, And that's called Feel Calm. Uh, Kieran, tell us all about it. Yes, so that is from Lady Shan, who is a kind of... I mean, she's marketed as the the UK dancehall queen, but really sort of a more London-centric dancehall queen. Are there dancehall queens in other parts of the country that would be be aggrieved? Cardiff's dancehall queen. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Very cross about the uh, London-centric. St Andrew's queen of slackness. (laughs) I mean, there's there's other people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. The little Chalfont dancehall queen. Anyway, let's carry on. Carry on. But Uh, is is there, I mean, are there there other centres of dancehall? I was assuming that London... Is the centre. I, th- I, I mean, in Birmingham, there's a real kind of thriving mm. sort of Jamaican bashment dancehall scene there. Um, and of course, the female MC Roxanne came out of that kind of scene. I mean, she she is sort of moving into grime and rap more, but she really came from um, that scene, which is quite big in Birmingham. But anyway, there's people that have done stuff like that in London as well, like Miss Dynamite and Lady Leisha and stuff over the last few years. But I think uh, this is much more. Yeah, this is straightforward. Yeah, exactly. Straight down the line, kind yeah. of. Which is what I really like. It reggae this, music. Yes, yes absolutely. Um, you know that the kind of there isn't a, a sort of fall in and out of patois that you get with sort of urban pop acts like Stushy or someone mm. like that. You know, it feels very authentic. Um, if you ever see her live, she you know she dresses all in white, which is just so dancehall, and you know she's got loads of energy, and you know she's she's re- like yeah, she's kind of a real pleasure to watch. Anyway, this track I liked because. Um, it wasn't as obvious in the kind of, you know, real pulsating energy that you usually associate with something um, like Jamaican dancehall. And it feels a lot more melodic, a lot more even melancholic at times. And, yeah, I just I thought it was like it. I thought it was a beautiful love song. Uh, there was a remix of this that was released early in the year by Toddler T. And it had, like, these really kind of hardcore jungle um, inflections. And it was a lot harder and it was a lot more furiously paced. Um, and... I really liked it. I mean, it was a really good club track, but this feels a lot more stripped back. And actually, I quite like her voice on this. And it's quite beautiful. Dorian. Yeah, I think one of my musical blind spots has always been that kind of that very frenetic, jabbering Jamaican dancehall vocal. It's just sort of, um, you know, I like the rhythms. I've just never been able to get. No, 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 no completely. My, my sort of guilty displeasure. <laughs> um, but um, but I really like it's like somebody who only like sort of hip hop tracks like the sad hip hop tracks about yeah. their mum or something, yeah, 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 yeah. and I'm like that with dancehall that I you know I I love those kind of um, those like sort of melancholic beautiful sort of shamelessly corny it is basically like liking uh, your favorite LL Cool J track is I Need Love or something yeah, yeah, isn't absolutely, it absolutely yeah but Brenda, it does, my favorite Tupac track is Brenda Got a Baby yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. but it does remind me of um, of Hold You by Egyptian which is my favorite Jamaican track the last few years. 
And yeah, I just I just find this style completely winning, and I'd really like to hear the toddler T version as well. I would like when you said sort of jungle. I, I really like the notion of like quite a, 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 a sort of pacey, <laughs> to use the technical term, jungle kind of. You know what I mean? Old fashioned sort of like mid nineties kind of chopped up jungle but with that over the top of it worked really really well Toddler T is really good with that stuff on his last album he um, was working with a lot of vocalists like that and that was really what Carnival sounded a lot like this year I think mm. that because of because of the sort of revival of, of two step in, in kind of pop and, and all that kind of stuff this year kind of the after parties at Carnival were very sort of garage influenced and very sort of uh, jungle influenced um, and I yeah, quite like that um, I think it's interesting that it comes from Englanders because you could draw a line between this and sort of lovers rock which is something that Britain did incredibly well totally. and is specifically yeah. a British form yeah. of reggae I mean it absolutely I mean you know mm-hmm. there are there are uh, people who sang sweetly in Jamaica as well but I mean that sort of that world that sort of Dennis Bovell world of lovers rock so I think that's kind of a, a really nice thing that you can you can draw a kind of line between this and silly games by Janet Kay or something like that mm. um, so yeah and I, I agree with you I, I always find just the real kind of pound I, I've never been in the right situation um, to have the real kind of angry, shouty sort of ragger. I, I don't know. I, just, I don't know why. You know, it's not like I've got any objection to angry, shouty music. It's all <laughs> I quite like it. Um, but for some reason, it's always. I was remember when I worked at Mixmag. Um, that guy Darren Crossdale that used to mm. write away, and he would bring this stuff in, and it'd be like, God, this is just. You know, it sounded even the context of there being loads of drum and bass at the time that had kind of ragger vocals and stuff on it. I remember it sounding like incredibly sort of. I always had the and, corniest tastes in this stuff, so I liked. Um, you know, Who Am I by Beanie Man. Absolutely. Who doesn't like that? <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, my, my daughter loves that. <laughs> she just, yeah, well, she was wandering around going, who got the keys to my bimmer? <laughs> she doesn't even have a bimmer. <laughs> she's, got, she's got a Merc. <laughs> um, so Lady Chan, around about on the internet, is this... Um... Yeah, so this is from her mixtape, uh, Dundam Trilogy, um, which is out now, and it's remixed by... Uh, well, it's mixed by Heatwave. Who are obviously kind of doing lots of exciting Very things big. in dancehall at the moment. Mm, okay, mm. wonderful. Next up, my choice. That is the Andy Weatherall remix of Madness's Death of a Rude Boy. Uh, that's my choice. It's actually been out since August, um, but it only came out on iTunes. And I, obviously that is the means by which music is disseminated these days. But as a result of that, I completely missed it. I didn't even know it had come out. Um, and somebody posted it, posted a link to it uh, on Twitter uh, early this week. And, um, and I played it. I really, really liked it. I think it's a record that uh, deserves to be heard. Um, a bit more widely, maybe than actually got it was sort of bunged out as the B side, effectively, of the the original track, Death of a Rude Boy. Um, I love Andy Weatherall. Um, I've always loved Andy Weatherall. Uh, I particularly like Andy Weatherall when he's working in this sort of you know 
Sabres of Paradise, Haunted Dancehall style. He's got a very, very um, intuitive and original understanding of dub and understanding of reggae. And a lot of producers will do this kind of, you know, can do this sort of And it always sounds incredibly cliched and hackneyed. And also dub, you know, shot for saying this, it's not the most varied form of music in the entire world. I always think it must be quite difficult to find new avenues Mm. and new ways of taking it. Mm. Because, you know, if you listen to a lot of sort of classic, oh God, this is going to go down so badly. But if you listen to a lot of classic, quite a lot of them sound the same as each other. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's very reliant on the source material, all that kind of thing. And he's got a really original and interesting take on it that I don't think he's done very much with recently. It was the sort of predominant style that he worked in in about sort of 92, 93, 94, I think. Um, when he was recording under the name Sabres of Paradise. Um, and he's really good at it. And it works really well with Madness's vocal. Also, it's great to hear, I think... Uh, this sort of vocal over the top that you do sort of associate in a way with kind of ska and reggae because it's madness and the famous ska mm-hmm. band from Britain but it's not like a standard reggae it, it's not a reggae vocal it's not pretending to be something it isn't it's a very mm. London vocal it's not you know what I mean it's not like a white guy pretending to be black and it all just all works together blah 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 there you go Dorian yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel sometimes that I, I do Madness a disservice. I think there are certain bands that they have so many really big singles that mm. you... And, the, and their albums are not canonised. Not at all, no. At all. So you kind of just get... You know, I own one Madness album, yeah. The Best of Madness, or, you know, Utter Madness, best whichever one. one it is. <laughs> it is the best one. Um, and I know that that, the, that this this album and the one before it, the Liberty of Norton Fulgate, had you know fantastic reviews. Mm. And of course, there's a depth to their songwriting that you don't necessarily perceive when they're doing like Our House for the Queen. Mm. You know, there's obviously that total Jamaica awareness of Jamaican tr- tradition. This is one of those records that kind of you know tells the rude boy to simmer down, yeah. which goes <laughs> yeah, back yeah, to yeah. like well the the early '60s, you know, yeah, Jamaica, absolutely. the rude boy era. Um, but it feels distinctly London, and that is what Weatherall does with, with dub. Like you, you said, like the Haunted Dancehall album, it's so grounded in London. I mean, you've got songs named after places in London. Uh, that whole um, thing which... And Weatherall came, came through punk, obviously. You know, I mean, he's, he's younger than Madness, but, but probably not that much younger. No, I don't think he is, no. So there's that, there was just that intuitive connection between London and not just London, obviously, um, but London and Jamaican music in that sort of, in that era. Absolutely, yeah. So it's the sort of the perfect marriage of of band and remixer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he's just, it's just a very instantly powerful, evocative record. And it reminded me not only how much I'd loved Weatherall since way back when, mm-hmm. you know, he was really, he kind of traded on his taste before he had like, before he knew what he was doing. Absolutely. Like, like his early remixes, he didn't really know what he was doing, but he just had this incredible taste, incredible instinct. And then in recent years, you look at what he's been doing, um, producing, you know, the best war paint material, um, the best fuck button songs. Mm. You know, he's consistently good, which in a kind of... In dance music, I know producers often do hang around, but there tends to be a marked decline. They have their heyday. And then their kind of sound runs out of steam and they never really find another one. Mm -hmm. And he just seems to be somebody that like 20 odd years after Loaded, Mm -hmm. he's still doing good work. I was was having a conversation uh, on on Twitter um, with, I don't know who from Express 2, but somebody from Express 2 about Weatherall. And I said, actually, I, I think he's like the Neil Young of dance music in that he's just followed this 
totally idiosyncratic path that's weaved through all these sort of different things. But you're always very aware you're listening to an Andy Weatherall record, you know what I mean, it, it, even though it crosses all these styles. And I was also talking to Terry Farley about Shum. I was writing a piece about Shum and interviewing him. And he was saying, oh, yeah, and then we moved to this, Shum moved to this other club, and that's when me and uh, Weatherall started DJing. Uh, in the sort of second room. And I was like, oh, what did you play? And he said, well, I used to play any soul record that vaguely sounded like it was about ecstasy. Mm. So he goes, you know, I'd play like, um, it's ecstasy when you lay down next to me, very white. And he goes, Weatherall, Weatherall played like Throbbing Gristle and sec- Section 25 records. And it's like, wow, even at the height of, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's- this is my taste, this is what I do. You know what I mean? He did uh, um, a six-music mix of songs that he played to Primal Scream when they were making Scream Adelica, which informed his his taste and even by today's standards it's in like an impeccable list (laughs) so by the standards of like 1990 91 it's like how did you know about all these records and it's across it's across the waterfront from like industrial to kraut rock to really obscure country rock singer songwriters Mm. um and there's just that there's very few people in music i think who just have this exquisite cross-genre taste Absolutely. and just, and just seem to know exactly where to find the best stuff. Kieran. No, it's good. Speaking I, for the young people. No, I, speaking, speaking for the flower generation. What I, you uh, I completely agree with um, Weatherall being a really consistent producer because he is, is one of those really proper producers who has a real ear for uh, tracks in that he always adds something that you didn't realise the track was missing beforehand, um, which we were talking about before. When I'd heard the original of this, I thought, you know, it was it was okay, and I didn't. I thought it kind of worked as you know as a track on its own. And then only after hearing the remix, I was like, oh, okay, now I see, you know, kind of how he's made it feel a lot more relevant, how he made it feel even a lot more London centric and kind of urban in every sense of the word. And it feels, you know, very vibrant. It feels very kind of you know culturally diverse and it sounds sort of you know without without sounding too twee but it sounds like britain today in a kind of scary which is an amazing thing to say because this is a record made by you know a bunch of middle-aged blokes i mean this is a middle-aged white bloke but it sounded like something which could have fitted into like the movie ill manners in the same way they get john Mm. cooper clark in there and Mm. i almost felt like uh, you know that that the movie would have benefited from not just being plan b and bringing in more of that stuff but it's got that to- it's got that incredible cinematic feel mm. um that that doesn't feel dated even though the whole i mean the idea of calling someone a rude boy is fairly dated mm. i don't know is it but it seems up to I mean, they, they might still be at it for all that <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a really amazing thing so again, i'm sorry to keep going on about scott walker but i was reading all these interviews with scott walker and he was going the album's called bish bosh because uh, bish bish is urban slang for bitch now and I was like, no, it isn't. I've never... Yes, it is. Well, Kendrick. Kendrick Lamar. It. Yeah. It's like... It's if you take your teeth out as well. <laughs> <laughs> all right, great. You're bitch. You're bitch. Um, no, but it's like, it's all over the Kendrick. It's like, man, how in tune are you with kind of like, you know, the latest <laughs> development hip hop? Or are you just bluffing? Did that just happen? You know? <laughs> because obviously if you interview him, he's so scary that if he goes, it's... Oh, it's, it's, it's no, you're not going to... No, it isn't. <laughs> anyway, let us move on. Uh, that is available on iTunes. You can listen to more of it. It's very long, quite a long mix, about eight minutes or so. Uh, and uh, that's on YouTube. Let's finally go to Dorian's track.
That's Dorian's choice uh, for Singles Club this week. That's uh, No to Love by Jesse Ware, remixed by uh, a friend of the pod, Ewan Pearson. Uh, that's his Permissive Society remix. I really like that. Mm. Um, I really like the original. Well, I mean, the original's not, I don't think the original's one of the best tracks on the Jesse Ware album, actually. I think he's, he's done no, it. I think it's quite, one of the weakest ones. Um, quite good with it. And I love the kind of. Um, it sounds a bit like freestyle. It sounds a bit mm. like. But like a really warped, dark version of. It's like. Of, of something like Let the Music Play by Shannon or On the Upside by Zena. I really like that. And and it, it kind of, the rap, I find, is quite odd on the original. Mm. And here, it's mm. because it's got that kind of mid-80s feel, that mm. slightly clunky rap, which just yeah, sounds... Which is, yes, absolutely, yeah. And what, I mean, Jesse Ware album, I think I love each more, each, you know, more each time I hear it. It's really, um, it's been one of my favourites of the year. I think she's got an incredible... Um, incredible voice, incredible presence, mm. without very understated, mm. you know, without without being showy in any way. Um, it's very sort of got this sort of bittersweet quality, and the remix team or whoever it is at her label who's commissioning remixes has been so smart and so focused. Mm. You had Disclosure remixing running. You had Joe Goddard doing an amazing version of Nightlight. You've got this, and Todd Edwards has also done one on this, and. I think it's kind of an underrated skill. Like I, you know, I grew up when I got into pop, a lot of the acts that I was into would be getting good remixes mm. done. And I always felt like if you liked an album, uh, one of the joys of electronic music was that you got to enjoy all these sort of bonus bits. It's like the album sort of sprawled for several yeah. months, all these alternative versions. And if you compare that to, say, um, the people commissioning remixes for Lana Del Rey, there's a lot of good ones. But they're basically just throwing stuff against yeah, the wall. It's every big name that you could possibly. And think you can't of even. You can, some of them you can't even buy. I heard a really good Fotec remix of Landel Ray, and you just, mm. you know, I just didn't even know where to get hold of it. Whereas mm. here, it's like each one is well chosen. It gets its release. It's probably on vinyl as well. But you know, it's definitely it's up on it's up on iTunes. There's a sense of kind of care and almost curatorship. Like this matters. You're not just trying to get club airplay, and that's why you go to people like. Ewan Pearson, you know, who, who's done a lot of remixes in the past, isn't as prolific now. And I think he chooses his, you know, his projects very carefully. Yeah. Um, and so you, you get something like this, and it's not just him applying a sound. It's him totally getting inside the song, working out exactly the approach, you, know, the approach you should use. And um, it just reminded me how much I love, as, as did the Madness track, obviously, how much I love the art of remixing, that it can be the... It can be the sort of ugliest, crassest, um, shallowest part of the music business. Or it can be just this sort of wonderful um, sort of long-distance collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Um, Kieran? Yeah, I think Jesse Well does really well out of a remix because when I first heard the album, it, it was you know absolutely beautiful and it really felt like it was something that you could listen to in your room and I didn't know how authentically you could listen to it in a club scenario. Um, and what a really good remix does is that kind of with sort of continued listens, um, it, it makes the trank sound even more anthemic, doesn't it? Because you hear it in, you know, lots of different kind Absolutely. of guises and it's, uh, yeah, and kind of it, it transcends just that bedroom listening. So, and uh, and also I love Dave Akumi's vocals on that, which have been sort of warped and, and mm. stretched and they sound a little bit sort of lurching. And, it just, and deep I, it and sounds like a huge... It sort of evokes this huge physical space, mm. like they're opposite ends of the dance floor and they're not quite communicating and it kind of, it just improves. Everything I think that the song was trying to do, the lyrically and vocally and musically, 
this remix seems to nail in a way that the original mm. just seems like maybe a, more like a demo once I've heard <laughs> this one, you know. That, to, to my ears, anyway. No, I think it's great. Um, I, I, I wish uh, Jesse Wears album sold more than it, it did. Really, has yeah. it not? Pretty cack sales. In oh. a world where, cause I think it's just too subtle for its own good, do you know what I mean? I think it, in, in a world where the best-selling album of the year is Emily Sandy... That's kind of a notion of what a you know what I mean mm. a vocalist sort of vaguely in that arena should be like, and it's it's but whatever. I just think it's a bit a bit unfortunate. I think it's a really really good part. I think it straddles. It's a sort of album that should be massive because it straddles all these different things in that they're really good songs. It's pop music. It's also completely informed by you know it should be like as big as the KTB album. Totally, but maybe it's not a low key era. You know, because mm. obviously there were Sade comparisons. I mean, I think there are there's lots of ways in which he doesn't sound at all like Sade, but I can see broad brush. Yeah. You know that. That, that, that there's a similarity and of course there was a time you know Sade could be super super low key mm-hmm. or Nora Jones could mm. be could be super low key and do well and it just it just seems like this is not maybe a particularly if you listen to how sort of brash pop sounds generally mm. um, and how big vocals and big sounds yeah, yeah, are favoured yeah, yeah. maybe this is just not the right year for this to be you know Skrillex yeah. and Calvin Harris's world people um, anyway that's out on uh, available you say on iTunes at the moment, um, the Ewan Pearson Permissive Society remix of No to Love by Jesse Ware and that singles club. Right, it's time for another in our parallel history of pop series with Peep Feeders, in which our seasoned archivist pops into his time machine, otherwise known as his loft, to look through the pages of a pop newspaper published decades ago. It's a bit like The Long View, but with a backing band. Stand by. Hello, thank you for joining me. My name is Pete Pafidis. What I'm looking at right now is a copy of Smash Hits, November the 10th to November the 23rd, 1983. ABC on the cover, which would have been cause for some excitement because they'd been away for, um, for a year or so. And, it, you know, back then, a year was quite a long time to be away in pop. Three of them on the cover were wearing very different clothes because, uh, famously, Martin Fry had set fire to his um, gold suit after the very last show on the Lexicon of Love tour because he was so pig-sick of every aspect of that record. What could possibly go wrong? A completely different sound to Lexicon of Love? Surely people would want to hear that, wouldn't they? Anyway, we'll come back to that later, but um, I've just shown up page two. Smash Hits, obviously, famously, where you would go if you wanted to read the lyrics to uh, your favourite hit single. Hold Me Now, you can sing along to Hold Me Now by the Thompson Twins, which was their new single. Also adverts for the new single by Prince, Little Red Corvette, which tells us that he's changing the face and taste of rock, knocking down myths and selling millions of albums. Exciting, it says, just to tell us that we're supposed to be excited. What is the first thing we can read in this week's Smash Hits? It's a, a slot, kind of one of those questionnaire slots called Personal File. It's on Paul Young. It's a, a real insight into the um, hitherto unknowable psyche of the spiky-topped, shiny-suited troubadour of wherever I lay my hat, that's my home fame. His nickname at school was Dustbin Hoffman. I got that because I used to... <laughs> I got that because I used to eat so much... I ate with <laughs> I ate with all the skinny kids so I could have the leftovers. That's very frank. By the look in your eye, 
Blamange, there's an interview with Blamange here who are back with a new single called That's Love That It Is. They're struggling to crack America because there's no such dessert as Blamange in America, which means that Americans can't pronounce their name uh, and they call them Blank Mange, which uh, is not a very appealing name. And as a result, it's stifling Blamange. There is a gossip column, it's called Mutterings. Nick Rhodes and John Taylor both bought houses when they were last in Britain. They looked at brochures in Montserrat and, on their accountant's advice, bought them immediately. John says he can't really remember what the place looked like. Andy Taylor, also on Duran Duran, Andy Taylor is, uh, has just opened a new restaurant in Whitley Bay called Rio. <laughs> Nick Beggs from Kajagoogoo is getting a new haircut. The beads have been replaced by twigs. <laughs> there are singles. There are lots of singles coming out. They're being reviewed by Mark Steeles, who, um, uh, among them being uh, uh, relaxed by Frankie Ghost Hollywood, which doesn't quite manage to get single of the week. But uh, quite prophetically, he says, naughty lyrics that will shock the powers that be at the BBC, which is a shame as this Trevor Horn-produced powerhouse dance record screams out to be heard. In the sterile, germ-free world of disco, this is one contagious disease which should be caught. Maybe that's not a very wisely worded advert in uh, reviewing in some ways. The single of the week it goes to Simple Minds, Waterfront, which he says is built around a shuddering backbeat shot through with guitar chords that will take your head off. This is remarkable, even by Simple Mind's own high standards. Onto the, uh, this is a kind of news gossipy kind of bit called, Bits, it's called. Billy Joel's about to release his album, An Innocent Man, which we now know, because we live in the future, that um, it did very well. Those of you who've heard it will know that it's this, it's a concept album about this sort of short, sort of ugly guy who um, starts dating a supermodel and over the course of 10 songs simply can't believe his luck. Very convincing conceit, really. He says, I think it's time we rediscovered courtship rituals, slow dancing at the high school prom, making out on the backseat of a Chevy, falling in love and all the insecurities that go with it. And of course, we mentioned before, ABC have got an album. This is, this is, it makes quite painful reading actually, because uh, obviously at this point in their lives, success was all that ABC knew. Quite reasonably, they, they figured that they could come back and do anything. It would go down just as well. And obviously, it didn't, the album was Beauty Stab, which has become quite infamous with hindsight. It's kind of one of the great sort of disastrous comeback albums, disastrous follow-up albums in pop history. Martin Fry is asked to describe the record to the interviewer, who's Peter Martin, and um, he says, It's a radical departure for ABC, more ways than one. We could have easily written All of My Heart, Part 17, but we wanted to do something a little bit different. It's the sound of a band inadvertently urging you not to buy their new record. Um, and no one did. So, um, and that was kind of the end of that for them, almost. Illusion. 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 
Lee John of Imagination is talking about his heroes and heroines, among them being Martin Luther King and Margaret Thatcher, who says, uh, explains it, between her and Boy George, it's a contest to see who wears the best makeup. She's very glamorous and gives the Queen a bit of competition. There's a centre spread of the Bell Stars and the first ever Smash Hits interview with the Smiths. Morrissey, the 23-year-old singer, lyricist and general spokesman of the Smiths, says it's quite strange the way things happen. And he's talking about the first week that the Smiths sort of played together. And he says, it was metaphysical, really. It was as if we dropped out of the sky and all landed in one position. On the Monday, I was a blank individual. And on the Friday, I was ready to marry these three other individuals in a spiritual sense, of course. And then a few years later, he (laughs) saw them all in court. Smash Hits, you know, obviously a lyrics magazine much of the time, and uh, they have a thing called Star Choice, where a well-known person chooses gets to gets to have the lyrics to their favourite single published. And Robert Smith of The Cure goes for uh, The Eternal by Joy Division, and he there's a little interview with him about it, and he says uh, the song seems to <laughs> the song seems to evoke the uselessness of life. I think I chose this particular song today due to the prospect of appearing on top of the pops tomorrow. It's quite a depressing thought. RSVP, which is Smash It's a very popular Pen Friends page. And uh, looking for friendship this week, we've got Jill, who's calling for calling on all guys into Kajagoogoo, Modern Romance, Spandau Ballet, and many more. Limal, David James, and Martin Kemp lookalikes are more than welcome. I'm an insane Numenoid who wants to write to hundreds of other Numenoids. It says David the Complex. That's his name, David the Complex. If you prefer, you can write to three 16-year-old boys who are into Roman Holiday, the Joe Boxers, New Order, the Police and Madness. But they don't like hippies. So, think on. And that concludes our whistle-stop tour through the pages of Smash Hits, November the 10th to the November the 23rd, 1983. Thank you for making it this far. Feed is there, going back in time. He'll be back in a month. That's us for this week. Dorian, thank you very much for coming in. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks. Never a chore. For asking you can go back to <laughs> your to sanatorium <laughs> or wherever it is that you should be. Um, Kieran, you'll be back next week? Yes. Good. Until next week, take care. Bye-bye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. Don't forget to sign up for free to the Guardian's Global Development Professionals Network, and you could be in with the chance of winning an iPad. Find out more now at guardian.co.uk slash win the iPad.